The following audio is from Cross Life Church in Tampa, Florida. We are a church that exists to help people find Christ, their place in the body, and their mission to the world. Our calling is to raise leaders and plant churches. So if you live in the Hudson area or near Wester Chapel, you can also check us out at one of our other locations. For more information, visit us at crosslife.net. This morning, I kind of wanted to start this way. Um, What is your favorite part of the Christmas story? What's your favorite part of the Christmas story and maybe why? Somebody want to jump in? So for me, it's, it, it's always been the incarnation, like God like breaking into creation and being born and being fully man and fully God. And it just like blows my mind. And that's always been part of like the Christmas story that's there. And it's just been fun too because it's blowing my kids' mind <laughs> as we try to talk about the incarnation because they're like, you know, it, it, just them trying to grab around it. It's like, you know, I, I can't grab, fully grasp it. And I'm just trying to tell eventually, like, you know, eventually you, you, you're just like, you know, you embrace the mystery and the awe of God in that he came and he was still fully God and fully man. And he broke into creation when it was so dark, when it couldn't have been darker, light broke in. Mm, and, like uh, so it's, it's, it's fun, and so it was always cool for me, and it's just been really cool just trying to see my kids, like, you see the wheels going, it's like, huh, God, okay, and man, huh, coming as a baby, huh, and, he, and like Keith said, he wasn't born in this great place, it's like, you know, filthy manger, but. Uh, I like that, mystery and awe. Yeah. That, one of the things I appreciate that you're doing is, um, you know, a lot of times as, parents or as adults, we think that kids can't understand the things of God. And sometimes I think that kids can grab them better, quicker than adults can. Uh, Somebody else? Doug? (laughs) (laughs) Robert's son's like, where are we going? Um, Well, to the point that you just made, the comment that you just made that the, the greatest part of Christmas to me is, and, and the most, and the hardest thing to grasp is what he just described. Why would God, you know, for us, do what he did? And the fact that, you know, and, and every time I think as we go through life and we try to grasp that he's all God, all man, all God, all man, all God. And, and we have to put it in that perspective because we're living as men and women and, and humans in this world, <clears throat> to know that our Savior took on humanity so that he could show how much he loved. Mm-hmm. Um, he could have done it as God and just made everything perfect, but then what would that do for us in, in, a, in a free will in, in, from a creation standpoint? And then to Keith's point, I think my favorite part, I mean, that's the hardest part for me to just grasp on a day-to-day basis. I, why? Thank you, but why? Um, is the opposite spectrum. I've, I've always been fascinated with, you've got these kings who are out in the east somewhere who, have, who apparently have been preparing for this. They know it's coming, and they make this journey. So from the shepherds to, you know, 
you know, you call them We Three Kings. It's, you know, everybody can de <clears throat> debate how many kings it was, how many people it was. But these are men of stature who realize the most important thing is happening and we need to be there to bow down. Uh, I'm sure these guys didn't bow down to anybody else in their life. But, you know, we're going to bow down to the baby. Hmm. I mean, that concept right there is just... Okay, somebody else? Your favorite part of the Christmas story? I think, uh, did you have your hand up too? Sorry. And Mary treasured all these things in her heart. Um, I can so relate to that as a mom. Um, just being in awe, like Robert said. Um, but just hiding those moments of, those God moments in your heart as a mother. I can't even imagine Mary as knowing who he truly was and hiding that and treasuring it in her heart. Okay. Denise? For those of you who know, I don't look that way because she's always trying to tell me what to do. So I, I am so blessed with the part that um, he drew them from afar. This is a day with no GPS, no airplanes, no nothing, and there's all these people from afar that did not know where they were going, but our God made a way for them to come. So that tells me that all people who are even far away from God, he can draw them unto himself, and I mm. think that is a beautiful thing. It's good. Somebody else? Favorite part of the Christmas story, Dominique? Ah, <laughs> you didn't know I was going to do that, did you? You shouldn't have looked at me. Gigi's next. Well, I've, I've always loved the, the way that the angels appear to the shepherds and just how amazing that, that must have been to be just sitting there in the dark, you know, doing your thing, and then all these angels appear in front of you, and you're just amazed. And then I came, um, I came across something yesterday that put it into even more perspective, that the awesomeness of it, and how God works every little detail out. And um, if you don't mind, I'll read it. It's oh, not... no, I chose you because I knew you had something to say. <laughs> All right. What's the big deal about a sweet little manger in Bethlehem? More than you think. Visiting Israel, our messian messianic guide show showed us a manger, a stone manger, and my understanding began to change. Then I found this and the author is anonymous. No matter how many times I read this, I just cannot do it without getting chills all over me. I bet you didn't know the following about the manger that Jesus was laid in. Of course, mangers are animal feeding troughs, but in ancient Israel, they were made of stone, not what you would see in a modern-day nativity scene. Not comfortable, but great for protection. That's why those who were experts in this matter, the priest, would put their newborn lambs in them, for protection, but not just any lamb. The unblemished, perfect lambs that were used in the sacrifice for sins. And Bethlehem, where Jesus was born, was famous for their unblemished lambs used for the sacrifice. These lambs had to be perfect so they could wrap them tightly in cloth and lie them in the manger to keep them safe. This is exactly why the only time mangers are mentioned in Jesus's birth story it is being told to shepherds. In Luke 2, it says, This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloth and lying in a manger. The shepherds would have understood this powerful par parallel. They knew what the cloth and the manger meant. This baby would be the perfect Lamb of God, the Messiah who would sacrifice his life for the sins of the whole world. 
He wasn't just a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. He was God, perfect, sinless, and holy, humbling himself to become the perfect sacrifice to reconcile us back to himself. That, my friend, that perfect lamb is why we celebrate Christmas. Wow, that's really good. I've never heard that before. Gigi? Thought I forgot, didn't you? Um, I think what just um, sticks out to me is just how humble Jesus, you know, his humbleness, how he came to um, to the world in the form of, you know, in, in a baby, uh, something that's innocent, that's weak. And, um, and I think that's, you know, who, um, as, you know, later on to... In, you know, his ministry, he was with, you know, the outcasts, like the ones that are um, maybe forgotten and, and weak. He always stood for, like, the, un, you know, like the under, underdog. And I just think um, the, you know, I think that's just what is meaningful to me. But he, he could have come, you know, as like this powerful you know, I mean, like a warrior or something, you know, but he came in the humbleness of like a baby of a child. Mm. And um, so I think that's, um, it just teaches us to how, how we should, how we should be. So mm, that's good. Somebody else? Um, Allie? You know who that is, don't you? I just went to a Bible study on Thursday, and they talked about, um, they read the story of Jesus and started, you know, like in the middle of the chapter. And then he went back and read the lineage. And he was talking about how he finds it so interesting, um, how Jesus was born into a family with, you know, obviously some really great, powerful leaders, but then also drunkards and sinners and, you know, people, prostitutes and um talked about how he could have chosen some great big family, some rich family, or, you know, seemingly good family. And he just chose normal, ordinary, and even some people who, like, the world would deem dirty to be born into. And he was still perfect. And I think mm -hmm. it's a really cool example, you know, um, to other people who come from places that aren't, that aren't considered clean by the world, that neither did Jesus. That's so. good. Somebody else? Favorite part of the Christmas story? Uh, Carmen? <clears throat> My favorite part is how God just orchestrates all of it because he made it so that this was the place where they would have to be. Um, there was no place else for them to go. And that just shows that he's in control of all things. Mm, that's good. What's, uh, I'm trying to remember the scripture, how it words it, but at the appointed time, at this specific time, Christ came. That's good stuff. I think it's important for us just to keep reflective. I think it's important for us to keep, you know, I talked to Denise and I were chatting about this Christmas with our kids and family, what that's going to look like. And what are we going to do to make sure that we keep this in perspective? Um, 
you hear Doug say all the time, hey, every Sunday, every day is like Christmas, you know, remembering who Christ is. But really, more specifically about this time, a lot of people's minds are kind of in that, in that place. And so to really help people just to stay focused and redirect um, the testimony that we have, the testimony that was given and left. Amen? All right, well, um, I was thinking about this a little bit for myself, and I thought about this idea of the long history of hope. Um, you know, that uh, this was the beginning of something uh, that God intended from the beginning. And we know, you know, as we read through Scripture, we know that this was, the, the whole of Scripture was pointed to that moment in time. And so for me, I think about that. I, there's a quote that I came across a lot of years ago, and it says this. It says, the Scriptures are not given for us to simply look back to in amazement, but to look forward to in hope. Um, the hope that the God who did still does. And that's always been a kind of a, for me, it's always been kind of something that as you, you know, you read through scripture and you're, you're blown away, uh, you know, all that God did, but uh, God didn't just do all that just to do that. He did that with a purpose and, and always he is, Everything that he'd done was always looking forward. And so I started thinking about this idea of hope. And, you know, hope in our modern culture is more of a wishful anticipation. You know, if you go up and start talking to people and, you, and, you know, you talk to them about hope, they're going to come up with all kinds of stuff. But it's a, it's a wishful anticipation. But we need to really look at hope in, in the biblical context and we know that it's not wishful anticipation, but it's confident expectation. Really, biblical hope is a confident expectation. It embraces this expectation that God will. God will. God will do what He said. And, you know, you look through it all the way through Scripture, and you look through it at the Christmas story, and I don't even remember now, I think at one point... I did a Christmas message and I was talking about how many prophecies were fulfilled in the Christmas story. It's like 80, 70 or 80. I can't, can't remember. It was, just kind of blows me away. And so um, this idea of knowing, having this confident expectation. And I, and I thought about, you know, we bring out Jeremiah chapter 29. And one of the things that I pull out of that in connection with this is, you know, that God said he had plans and plans were good. But I like how Jeremiah says, and that they have an expected end. And so God is telling his people, here is your expected end. Now, what are we to pull from that? But, but that we know that what God said He's going to do, so we should have this confident expectation. We should have this confident expectation in an expected end, in, what, in the things that God has said. So if our hope is to be sure, a sure hope, then it must be founded on something or someone which gives us reasonable grounds for confidence in its fulfillment. 
Let me just say that again. Talking about biblical hope, it is this confident expectation, but if we're really to have this confident expectation, then it really needs to be grounded in something or someone that gives us this reasonable grounds for confidence. And so, if you have your Bibles, turn to Hebrews chapter 6. And we're going to be looking at Hebrews chapter 6, verses 13 through 20, and I'm not going to be long this morning, but I, I really wanted us to think this through and have this in the forefront of our minds as we're walking into this season again to be reminded about what the fulfillment of, what, of who Christ is and what God was intentions through Christ for humanity, for us who are believers. So in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 13 through 20, it kind of starts out with this saying that God had promised to Abraham. God made a promise to Abraham. But it says that he confirmed his promise to Abraham with an oath. So God made a promise, and then he confirmed his promise with an oath. You know, a lot of times people say, how can we know that what God said is really going to happen? How can I really believe what God is saying? Well, here with Abraham, it says that he gave Abraham this promise, but he confirmed that promise with an oath that he would fulfill. And then in verse 16, it says this, so when a man takes an oath, he's calling upon someone greater than himself to to force him to do what he has promised or to punish him if he refuses later to do it. See, the oath ends all the arguments about it. So in that day, men would make an oath. They would swear, I will do this. And at that point in time, they did it through a community so that he was held accountable to do it. And so God made this promise to Abraham. And then after he made the promise, he made an oath. And so men did it by someone greater but God, of course, who God is, it says this, it says that, um, verse 17, it says, God also bound himself with an oath so that those he promised to help would be perfectly sure and never need to wonder where he might change his plans. I know it reads a little bit different in other translations, but this is how this really plays out. God bound himself with an oath. He made a promise and he bound himself to that promise with an oath. And that promise was so that he had promised to help, those he promised to help would be perfectly sure and never need to wonder whether he might change his plans. That's pretty sure. Verse 18 says that he has given us both his promise and his oath. Two things that we can completely count on. So what's the translation say? By two immutable things, unchanging, sure, steadfast things. God's promise and God's oath. Two things we can completely count on because it's impossible for God to lie. Now all those who flee to him now all those who flee to him to save them can take refuge and courage when they hear such assurances from God. 
Now they can know without a doubt that He will give them the salvation He has promised to them. So, I just, I I don't know for you personally in your own life, but I do know how sometimes it's really hard to grab a hold of the things that God has promised. In current situations that we're in, it's hard to, it's hard to trust because our life is in a place that doesn't seem to be lining up with what our thoughts are about God's promises and God's faithfulness to our, our life. And I've, again, I've said it so many times, here's the promise of God and how do we receive those promises? There is this pruning process that is involved in our life and how do you marry those two things? How do those two things couple together that God is going to fulfill all that He said would he would fulfill to us. And at the same time, what he was going to do is he's going to work in our life, pruning and purging our life. So our life is refined. So that our life has, is, is, has these good fruits in them and the character and the nature of Christ. And so we are, we are being pruned in the process. And sometimes when we're pruned in the process, we wonder about the promises. We wonder, does God really see our lives? And what I want to bring out this morning is that in Christ, God made a promise to us, and He confirmed the promise with an oath that He would fulfill. Now, all of us in here that are believers, we already can see it. You, having not known Christ, and at some point come into this relationship with Christ, you know that your life has changed. You have this, there, your life is different you no longer have the desire and you no longer have the strong impulses to move in particular ways, but to move away from things that you used to embrace to something that's new. That is a fulfillment of His promise to you. And then we get in life a little bit later in life and we wonder, okay, was it, you know, I, well, I don't know if that's really playing out. I, I don't really, you know, we begin to question and I just wanted this morning, stop. Just stop the questioning and get back to a simplicity. Either the, the kids up here and seeing it and they think, oh, how cute, but the simplicity of it, to believe, to know that what God had promised, He will fulfill. Why do we doubt? Why, why do we keep changing our minds? See, verse 19 says, this is a certain hope of being saved is strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. So I don't know what happens to you when life hits you broadside and you seem you're in a tailspin. I know for me, I do like all of you. Immediately I go, oh, what's going on? God must not be here. And then through the process, I just look inward and I find this anchor that has been placed in my life, the reality of Christ in me. And all of a sudden now it just slows the spin. My life seems to pause and stop and I find redirection to move forward in a way that I am in faith, trusting God in my life. So it's an anchor for our souls, connecting us with God Himself behind the sacred curtain of heaven where Christ has gone ahead to plead for us from the position as our high priest. So we're talking about Abraham and what God had promised and God had an oath to Abraham, but we need to know that we're part of the promise. We're a part of the oath. 
Because in Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 through 29, it says this. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you were baptized into Christ. You have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Verse 29 says, If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed, and you are also heirs according to the promise. So it wasn't just Abraham that God made a promise to. We're connected through faith. We're connected to the same promise. We're connected to the same oath that God said He would do what He said. And so for me, it just gives me hope. It gives me this confident expectation. I, I don't have a wishful thinking about my life. It's, it's rock solid in me. I know that I know that I know God is going to fulfill all He has intended for me. And here's the ultimate goal of that. I know that one day when I breathe my last breath, the first person I am going to see is the Lord Jesus Christ. I am so sure about that. And I've told you so many times I'm not afraid to die and it's just kind of wondering about how I'm going to get there. But here's what I know the end is. I know that my end is eternal life in Christ and I know that from now to my end it is God looking on my life with me in my life, helping me in my life. You know, we just finished this uh, series of messages on prophecy and end times, and the interesting thing is, is that remember that when we started the series on prophecy and times, the first thing we did was to look back. It's the first thing we did. Here we are right now in time. Let's just look way back. Let's see, let's see what God said he would do, and let's see what God did, and then what God said he would do, and that God did, and what God said he would do, and then did. For me, personally, in my own life, I look back, and I see what God said he would do, and he did, and I see what God said he would do, and he did, and I see what God said he would do, and he did. See, that gives me reasonable grounds of expectation. See, that gives me hope. That gives me a confident expectation in someone or something. And is this a, the something of the things that he did and the someone of the one who promised it and promised it with an oath? We have such, we have such grounds for hope. We have such grounds for this expectation that brings joy into our life. We do, the believer. And man, to be able to share that with others, for others to be able to look at your life, because I know that they do if you're living this out, at some point in the life they're going, there's something different about you. And sometimes they might not say it like that, but in some way they're going to go, they're just going to open up. They're, they're going to talk to you, and their language is going to be, in their conversation with you, is they're over here and you're over here, and they know that you have something that they don't have that they would like in their life. Because there's no way that you can have a relationship with Jesus and walk in peace and others not sense it in your life. It's there. It, you don't even have to try to project it. I can't tell you how many times I never go out and I'm not just looking for someone to share Jesus with. I'm just living the life. 
And as I'm living the life and sharing the love and the hope that he has, and not just by going chapter and verse, but just in simple things, it's Jesus reaching through your life and others seeing what Jesus has, and others recognizing something different in your life, which we know, which is Christ in you. So we really do have these reasonable grounds for confidence and expectation. The God that did still does. And he's still doing. So I don't really know where you're at, if you're stuck, if you've wandered, if you're really not in this place that you used to be. But you need to realize that God's never moved. He's never shifted. Sometimes it's us who have moved. Sometimes it's us who have shifted. For some reason, we are not gripping on to that anchor of hope in our life. And that's really where our life needs to be. Let me just finish with just a couple things. You know, coming into another Christmas season should remind us again that the God that started something new uh, was with the gift of His Son. The, the awe of it, the wonder, the mystery, and the awe of it. I still don't grab a hold of it completely. The mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. I still don't understand that. I'm struggling to understand it, but I've come to realize that I can embrace it and I can open my life to it. And God slowly just keeps unfolding things to keep me following him, keep me trusting him, to keep me knowing that he is the God that is with me in life. See, we have this new beginning, this new life for us who are the believing ones. And at the same time, we have a new beginning I like this. We have a new ending. <laughs> we, we not only have a new beginning, but we got a new ending. And that is an eternity with God. So this whole Christmas story was never simply about the babe in the manger, but it was what would become because of the babe in the manger. Amen?